Welcome to a special edition of the Ringer Tech Podcast. I'm Molly McHugh, and I'm joined today by Ringer staff writers Alyssa Bereznak. Hi. And Kate Nibbs. Hey. And Victor Lukerson. Hey, Molly. Today, we're going to be talking about Facebook Live and more specifically, some of the graphic videos that were streamed and uploaded using Facebook's video service last week following the deaths of Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, and five Dallas police officers during a shootout. A quick warning. Some of the content we're going to be discussing and clips we're going to play may be upsetting. On July 5th in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Alton Sterling was approached by two police officers who were responding to a call about a disturbance. He was shot and killed by the officer and several bystanders captured the incident on video and uploaded it to Facebook and Twitter. The next day, several states over in Falcon Heights, Minnesota, Philando Castile was driving with his girlfriend and her daughter when he was pulled over for a broken taillight. When attempting to reach for his license in his back pocket, he was shot by the officer and later bled to death. His girlfriend calmly streamed the entire incident on Facebook Live. The next evening at a Black Lives Matter protest in Dallas, Texas, five law enforcement officers were killed. The assailant is thought to be a man named Micah Johnson. A bystander captured the shootout and also used Facebook Live to stream it. We're going to talk about Facebook's role in these events throughout today's episode, but I just wanted to start by addressing something that happened with the live stream of Philando Castile's death. There was a blackout period where Facebook actually removed the video and attributed it to a glitch. It was shot by his girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, and her entire account and the video were gone for a while. And Kate, you wrote about this this week and you've kind of talked to Facebook about their policies with all this. So can you give us any background you have on why this might have happened? Yeah, so Facebook is sticking with the story that the broadcast uh, was taken down due to a technical glitch that they won't won't give us any more specifics than that, uh, which is difficult to believe because Facebook's moderation policy for live video right now relies pretty heavily on users flagging content and then a Facebook moderator or an algorithm f- pulling that content based on how many users have flagged it. So, you know, this was a very graphic video that could have easily been flagged as such by users. And in the past, when that has happened, Facebook has said, you know, we accidentally pulled this down because it was flagged so many times. Uh, Maybe because this is so politically sensitive, they're insisting that it was just a sort of happenstance technical malfunction. But that's that's difficult for me to buy, Um, you know. It just it doesn't make that much sense. Or if it was a technical glitch that that makes me worried about people who want to use Facebook Live as as a citizen journalism tool, because it implies that it's not a very secure, uh, you know, platform. Um, No. Yeah. So we don't we don't have any answers beyond what Facebook is giving us uh, about the glitch. So at this point, it's sort of. You can believe Facebook or you cannot believe Facebook, but we're likely not going to get a, a straighter answer than that. Um, when I when I tried to ask them for any more information about it and I uh, sort of expressed my skepticism, they pointed me towards their um, community standards as though that held answers, which it didn't. Um, <laughs> That's so Facebook. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. I Maybe it's the conspiracy theorist in me, but I have a feeling that it was, you know, an, a moderator accident or, or an algorithm accident and not just an unrelated technical error. 
I mean, if you watch the video, it is very graphic. I mean, he's bleeding out right there in front of your eyes. Um, Actually, right now might be a good time to listen to the video really quick, just so we have some more background. The video was broadcast on Facebook Live, and it was by his girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, while they sat in a car. He just shot his arm off. We got pulled over on Larpener. I told him not to reach for it. I told him to get his hand off it. You told him to get his ID, sir, and his driver's license. Oh, my God. Please don't tell me he's dead. Please don't tell me my boyfriend just went like that. Keep your hands where they are, please. Yes, I will, sir. I'll keep my hands where they are. Please don't tell me this, Lord. Please, Jesus, don't tell me that he's gone. Please don't tell me that he's gone. Please, officer, don't tell me that you just did this to him. You shot four bullets into him, sir. He was just getting his license and registration, sir. So, yeah, I mean, just listening to it, it's actually kind of surprising. But she is so incredibly calm. But if you watch the video, I can understand why someone who maybe was like a lower level employee, maybe someone who's a contract worker, just sees you know, uh, somebody bleeding and they hit some button and pulls it down. Um, Why they wouldn't admit that, though, that's what doesn't really make sense to me. Um, And that kind of brings me back to just like the secret sauce of what is and isn't okay on Facebook. Um, I don't know. Did you guys think about that anymore? Like why this could have happened? Well, I think Facebook keeps these things intentionally vague because they've seen what can happen when they take sides. Uh, the entire sort of newsfeed uh, bias story that sort of has captured the public's attention this this spring and summer has really made people think, okay, well, maybe Mark Zuckerberg doesn't support my beliefs or um, maybe they're, uh, you know, conspiring to promote liberal ideas in my Facebook newsfeed or vice versa. And so I think the the more vague they can be about their editorial standards for instances that are so politically charged, especially like this one, uh, the the easier it is for them to get off and say, well, you know, things happen in the crazy, complicated world of code and technology, and it's yeah. not our fault. Right. I also think the fact that it all played out, I guess, like between like 2 and 4 a.m. is when the video was down around that time. So I think mm-hmm. probably a lot of normal people might, might not even know this happened, you know, because it's just an odd time for it to be happening, basically. Right. I mean, it did go back up and Zuckerberg released a statement kind of talking about Facebook's role in violence and activism, um, which we, the three, four of us have discussed this week as being kind of confusing. Uh, But Victor, you wrote about it a little bit. So what is, I mean, I guess bottom line is Facebook actually a safe place for social justice? Well, it's definitely the most powerful place. I mean, it has 1.6 billion users. Um, and we saw in the case with uh, Diamond Reynolds that she was able to broadcast what was happening in the moment. Like, that's pretty unprecedented, honestly. If you think about even, like, going back historically to other uh, instances of police brutality, like along, like in Rodney King, for instance, uh, when a bystander recorded that video, he had to take it to a news organization. It took several days for that right. video to sort of, like, reach national consciousness. This happened, like, in real time. And... We saw everyone reacting to it, you know, within hours. I mean, that's incredible power that Facebook is uh, created a platform for other people to use in uh, really incredible ways. Um, But on the other hand, the company itself doesn't necessarily seem to want to acknowledge that it's more than like a utility, you know, because they have all this control over what content is going to be shown or not. We see that with the glitch. And they decide in the future that this is not the role they want to play, but people have already sort of invested in them as 
a you know tool for public good, that's something that they should, I guess, be more articulate about what their role is going to be so that people know whether or not they can trust the platform in the future for these kind of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like after she's uh, Diamond Reynolds, she's been talking to the press a lot and is very um, like really wants to get this story out there and has very plainly said like she wanted this to happen. She wanted people to talk about it. Um, that's probably going to mean we see this stuff more, right? I think so. And I think that's good. It seems to me like Facebook Live is is more than a utility. Because of its immediacy, it gives people who wouldn't have a platform an instantaneous platform, and that's a really powerful thing that you can't discount. And I think the issue is just how is Facebook as a company going to deal with the fact that it now uh, provides this power to people that um, wouldn't have it and, you know, aren't necessarily who it was courting with Facebook Live. Like it wanted, you know, Obama to be on Facebook Live. It didn't mm-hmm. want a protester necessarily. And and uh, I think it's going to be really vital for Facebook to approach this carefully and not screw up horribly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they definitely want a lot of light content, you know, floats to the top of Facebook Live. There's... Um... I mean, we've the three of us or four of us have said it so many times this week, like Chewbacca mom is the mascot of Facebook Live. Well, I mean, I do. uh, I mean, just to make the point that Facebook really wants to promote a a certain sort of image, like she was sort of the face of Facebook Live for such a long time. And then this thing came along and it was like clearly so much more difficult. Yeah. And important, (laughs) but also difficult to deal with. And I think that they really clearly didn't show like a. A, a willingness or like an outward yearning the way that they wanted to prove yeah, they were like, like um, Chewbacca mom. Yeah, like, yeah. Where Chewbacca are you? Mom, you want to come back? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it has been really crazy. And I, one thing you pointed out, Victor, is that like we do have platforms that are ready for this um, as far as just like they are willing and ready to totally p- support these kind of videos and get them out there because it's important. But um, they don't have the users like you talk to the periscope people right yeah periscope uh which is owned by twitter uh their ceo actually launched the platform because he was in turkey in 2014 and wanted to be able to film protests in real time and obviously twitter as a whole is heavily invested in activism and sort of supporting uh that kind of work um the aclu also has a uh mobile app you can use to document police interactions but uh those tools are really useful and you see a lot of activists using them um over the weekend in Baton Rouge, uh, DeRay McKesson was arrested, and that was on Periscope, like being live streamed. So we're right. definitely seeing those tools being used uh, sort of in tandem. But at the end of the day, Facebook like, has the numbers and has the scale. And even before, I guess, this all happened, I was very struck just watching like normal people on Facebook Live. I just remember mm-hmm. like they have this giant map. I, I think it's probably some, if you go on their website, you can see a giant map. Oh, I love map. the map. The map is great. And you just see all these random people who have never live streamed anything before in their lives just suddenly it's on their Facebook app and they see it's really easy to use and they'll just like shoot whatever's around them. So it's definitely captured something also with just like normal people understanding intuitively how to engage with it. And mm-hmm. that's sort of probably why you're seeing both really frivolous, fun things and really terrible, powerful, important things at the same time. Yeah, like this week, just watching social feeds has been kind of crazy. And I know we've just talked about it a little bit, you know, anecdotally seeing your friends and family respond to something that you would, it's kind of surprising to see. I mean, my friends and family react to like the 
live, you know, a live cam on like a, the zoo or something. That's the most exciting thing that comes into my Facebook feed from most people. Um, but this like struck a chord like other things really haven't these three incidents. Um, yeah, I think maybe I mean, I guess it's the starkness of having those things happen three days in a row, which sort of like uh, compels more people to want to speak about it. And I also think maybe the fact that both the Alton Sterling and Philando Castile videos sort of emerged before there was a police narrative or before they were sort of like an authoritative uh, take on what had happened. The first thing you see is these black men dying basically on video. So that, I think mean, it just creates right. a much more visceral, immediate reaction, maybe compared to some of the earlier incidents, which like involved a lot of confusion um, in the initial days. So I think that might be part of it. But also just interesting just watching like sort of everyone's feeling they have to take a side and people sort of implying that if you won't say anything, if you won't write anything on your Facebook, then you're like not uh, supportive of mm-hmm. the issues. Um, it just seems like everyone, the more people that talk about it, the more people feel compelled to talk about it. So it's definitely like a snowball effect, not about happening among your friends, but also among like celebrities and that kind of thing. So it's definitely, it's like the woke Olympics out there. Right. Like people it seems like, like it. <laughs> I identify with something and just like feeling this like, I, I can't even, you know, you don't blame people for feeling this like strange visceral need to talk about it, but it was like a heightened conversation like I haven't really seen with, you know, non-media people. Twitter is kind of always like that um, if you're, you know, our Twitter feeds are ridiculous, but Facebook isn't really like that generally. Yeah, and no, I think um, ultimately it's probably a good thing. I think that so many people are sort of being put out of their comfort zones and being forced to like confront what's happening or just talk about it in a more direct way. So, I mean, I think definitely people like feel scared for whatever reason, sort of wade into those waters at first, but then it seems like a lot of people are sort of diving, have dove in head first this week for a variety of reasons. So it'd be interesting to also see, I guess, now that this sort of wall has been breached on that social network, whether that changes the the general sort of demeanor of it, does mm-hmm. it become more like combative the way Twitter is sort of genuinely combative or like a little bit less frivolous than Facebook is. It'd be interesting to see whether that becomes like a, permanent change to the dynamics of the social network. Yeah, I, that would be very strange. I was going to ask if, Alyssa and Kate, did you guys kind of notice family and friends getting involved in a way that you were just, you know, surprised by? Um, I'm always a little disheartened by uh, the amount of people that I'm Facebook friends with who have very different political beliefs than I do. Um, but it's it's weird because I, I've been, like, trying to figure out whether I should engage with people who I vehemently disagree with um, about stuff like this on Facebook or not. And so far, I haven't really been doing that. Um, like, I'm a lot more combative on Twitter. And, and in my, my Facebook world, I'm, I tend to just not comment. And now I'm trying to figure out whether that's, like, a different form of irresponsibility. Like, yeah. I, I don't really know. Like, do you guys fight with your Facebook friends? <laughs> about stuff like that or is that um... yeah I mean I I would just say that I'm like the fact that Facebook is just now sort of experiencing this nexus of issues and people are are really sort of reacting in a visceral way to it but the fact that only recently did we get like the reactions to posts that are other than like a thumbs up is Mm -hmm. an example of like how strangely it's built for discussions like this. Like you can't, I mean, I think the reason why for you, Kate, it's so easy to maybe have a a quick discussion on Twitter and then let it go is because those tweets disappear down a timeline. But uh, Facebook, in a way, it's like a, a post comments are just sitting there like 
ready to be screenshot and and uh, also ready to be attacked by anyone who comes along and notices it. So um, there is sort of a strange, like Facebook in itself, I think, was always originally created to have very casual, friendly conversations. And now that we've been given like much heavier topics to discuss and it's becoming, you know, I mean, it's the biggest social network in the world. We have to have these discussions because that's where the majority of the people are. I think uh, it's really just like the the where is showing through and it, the fact that it's not designed necessarily for this is, is showing through. I, and this is all very relevant right now because I, what was it like, was it two weeks ago? A few weeks ago, Facebook um, said, you know, posts from your family and friends are going to be weighed higher against news sources. So um, places like the Washington Post and, you know, NPR, they're not, their posts are not going to show up over your friends and family talking about things. So when your friends and family are the ones like Diamond Reynolds who are either streaming something newsworthy that's happening or getting, having thoughts about it or reposting it. So I, it's going to be a very different place because I think live is going to change all of this. Yeah, I don't know if they've already made that change, but I do know just sort of like being forced to read a lot of stuff about all this happened in the last week. I was definitely more like sucked into my own Facebook and just like reading people's perspectives because everyone's like written a pretty direct opinion about race relations in America in the last week on Facebook. People who hadn't had no idea what their opinions were before. So I just think it's been very interesting. Like it's definitely made Facebook to me at least something that's like actually more worth like looking through and sort of like seeing what everyone's saying about stuff, even if it's like overwhelm emotionally overwhelming. Sometimes yeah. combative, like it is like substantial and interesting and important, which is not a way I would characterize my Facebook feed on a typical day. So, yeah, I think the post that I hated seeing the most was not even the people who are angry and disagreeing with who are like guns are great or something like that. I think the people that bothered me the most were people who were posting things like Facebook is so dark today. Like, here's a picture of a puppy. Right. <laughs> Did you guys see stuff like that? I saw it all the time. Yeah. And I also saw people saying that Pokemon Go was a great way to take a break from all of the sadness. <laughs> uh, someone, someone, I actually saw a pretty great status update um, where someone was like, you know, July 2016 was the year that uh, like people retreated into their phones to escape the horrors of the world. But it was more eloquent than that. And I thought it was a fairly uh, astute yeah. observation of what's happening with Pokemon Go. But um, no, I didn't actually see anyone be like, Facebook's too heavy for me. Um, just, just, uh, just people who I vehemently disagreed with. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I, it is strange. I remember when Facebook live first launched, Kate in particular, we talked a lot about like the violence is just, it's coming. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing to stop it. This is definitely going to be used to stream violence. Um, and I don't think we really thought about it Further than that, because when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about um, videos like the one from last year where the two journalists were killed and the shooter shot it on his phone and, and uploaded it to Facebook. It wasn't streamed with Facebook Live, but that's the kind of thing I was thinking about. We were going to see a lot of things from the shooter's perspective and how that's always been something that social networks have a hard time dealing with because, you know, you don't want to be giving a shooter or a violent person more attention, what they're seeking. Um, and so that's like where my brain first went. And now I'm thinking of all the people who are going to be using this as a news source because 
I, we don't have as many fair news sources as we used to. That's a problem. Um, they're apparently not going to be promoted on the world's largest social network <laughs> as much anymore. Um, and so, I don't know, it makes me really hope that there was some big meeting at Facebook last week where they all sat down and were like, okay, guys, <laughs> we're, we're a news source. How do we deal with <laughs> I, it? I hope they had that too. Although I will say, I don't really think that there's ever been a time where there has been a golden age of objective news. I kind of think that's something that's more of a myth than a reality. Like there's always been yellow journalism. And I, while the in, internet has uh, given polar, like extreme polarized viewpoints of easier platform, I don't necessarily see it as like citizen journalism and, and this like opening of who gets uh, to speak is inherently bad, but I Mm -hmm. do think that it's very important that Facebook takes this role that it's given itself as like the the gatekeepers of the news seriously. And it it doesn't mean that they get to push really frivolous, you know, recipe videos on us. It means that they need to figure out a way to facilitate the conversations that we need to have. Um, and I'm kind of worried about what they're going to do. Sure. Same. I mean, I, I feel like it's, you know, <laughs> building the tracks as we're flying down. Yeah. So how can we actually build a social network that works for social justice? I know it's something you kind of talked about a little bit, Victor. Yeah, I think having more specific community guidelines it would be really helpful so that people better understand the boundaries of what can and cannot be done and also understand uh how what what the company itself is willing to allow on its platform like if facebook for instance made their community guidelines more specific that might make it easier to understand what happened with this video or if they had uh transparency reports where they said hey x number of videos this month were taken down because they were had like gore they violated mm-hmm. this pers- specific point in our in our standards that'll be able to better understand sort of like where they stand as an organization because obviously they have their own biases and agendas but you can't really understand what those are without data about what they do yeah right. that that's going to be really important because now they're sort of purporting that they're going to be able to discern the motivations of people who share these videos like if you're doing it mockingly they'll take it down but if you're doing it earnestly they'll leave it up and my question is like how the hell is facebook going to figure out your intention in a in a way that's consistent you know like i i just feel like it's good that they're being ambitious about trying to do this in a smart way, but it's a really, really tall order. And I would like to know more about how they plan to do it. Yeah, I think when you think about Facebook's sort of growing role as a, growing role as a news organization, like them hiring an ombudsman or a public advocate of some sort would make a lot of sense. Like if there was someone who could go to Facebook, whatever executive, and ask them directly, what is the technical glitch? People like want to know about this and get a direct answer. And the same way that when a confusing New York Times story emerges, uh, Margaret Sullivan or the new uh, ombudsman will go to the editors and talk about it. Um, that would be a great thing for the platform to have, and I think it would make people more trusting of it. Um, mm-hmm. The people, the ex- experts that I talked to for that story, we were talking about how trust is a really big part of creating a platform that's good for social activism. So if there's like an understanding that when things go wrong, I will have some sort of recourse um, in a somewhat democratic way, I think that would make people trust Facebook a lot more. I yeah. think I, there definitely needs to be some sort of better oversight ha- or overview happening. That makes a lot of sense. I think Victor's idea for a public editor is really smart. And I also think, you know, when something like the the accusations that Facebook was suppressing, uh, you know, certain political views and, and trending topics came through, it, it conducted an internal investigation. And 
it, it, it's not it's not easy to believe their internal investigations because um, you know so many journalists have caught Facebook in lies before. So it would I think it would be awesome if they opened up themselves to you know independent investigations when when allegations like that get pushed forth and and it would go a long way to to viewing Facebook as a trustworthy news source you know it it wanted to be the newspaper and it should do things that respected respected newspapers do like have a yeah. public editor right um it all feels so much crazier to be having this conversation when I think back to the fact that like in 2004 Facebook was a semi-private social platform to post pictures of yourself getting super drunk at call in college <laughs> and now it's like a news changing force and like the same I obviously Mark Zuckerberg is not a child anymore um but like there's got to be some fundamentals from the same kind of thinking that started this thing that are propelling it forward and that's kind of crazy to think about Maybe. I don't know. I, I did start earlier this year. Uh, Zuck had this interview in like early 05. That's on YouTube where he's like at the first Facebook office. And it looks like basically like a college dorm. They have a keg and stuff. I love And that. he's like wearing like uh, basketball shorts and flip flops, drinking a solo cup, drinking out of a solo cup. And the interview, interview asks him like, what does he want Facebook to be? And he's like, you know, I think just like for the college kids, it's like really good for us. Just like focusing on this one aspect. So I don't know when his world-beating ambitions grew out of that. But it's interesting to see that, like, he at one point thought that he wanted to make a really good site for college kids, basically. Yeah. It's just crazy how fast that really did happen. What is he, like, he's 32, so pretty quick. Any other thoughts on, like, how Facebook Live is going to become this citizen journalism tool and how we're going to deal with, you know, this becoming a platform for discussions on things like guns and violence and and police uh, violence. I think the thing that really spoke to me um, when I watched the Diamond Reynolds video was that she was really ready for that moment. Like, strangely, because totally. we've we've spent um, I mean, it's depressing that she was ready for that moment, but because we've spent so much time on our devices and we are trained to narrate our lives and um, we know how to sort of speak to people s through our technology. She was doing something that I was astounded by, which is like calmly narrating one of the most horrific things that could possibly happen to her. And uh, just the emotion and the rawness of it, I think, is what made the video so effective. And uh, I, I mean, I, I, I think to your point that we all sort of grew up with Facebook and maybe it started as like a uh, a place for college kids and now is maybe a vehicle for social change. Um, we also sort of developed our own skills during that period of time where we we can articulate ourselves better than we ever expected and, and really express like something that CNN is not going to show. Like she also had a post like a post rally that she streamed on Facebook Live. Right. And I mean, it was just heartbreaking to watch. It was it was overwhelming. And I, I think just being able to see those moments completely unedited has been really, really eye opening in this experience. Yeah, I guess bottom line is um, people know how to use this tool. We're learning more and more people know how to use this tool, whether it's just, you know, to stream your yourself doing absolutely nothing or to stream something like this where you're capturing police violence. Um, that's important. And man, I hope Facebook is prepared to deal with a lot of it. 
Um, okay. Well, thank you guys for joining me. This was really, really awesome. That's all we got for today's special edition of the Ringer Tech Pod. You can check out Victor's piece, Is Facebook a Safe Place for Social Activism? And Kate's called Facebook Live's Identity Crisis at TheRinger.com. And Alyssa also has a great piece on Facebook Live, and it's about churches who are live streaming services. Obviously, not quite as dark as a lot of the other stuff we talked about today, but it's still really interesting to read about how some people are using the service. I'm Molly McHugh, and thanks for joining me today, guys. Bye. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Molly.